Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Frank speaking with the V Brownback. Today is March 22nd, 2016, and we are going to cover Objective 4 of the CCNA Data Center. And this basically translates down to describe and configure basic routing concepts. If you have any questions during the webinar, um, simply either use the chat or the Q&A, or you can also tweet us with the hashtag vbrownbag on Twitter. Um, since I'm both presenter and host today, uh, the chat probably is the best way to reach me because then I actually see it. I'll try to keep an eye on Twitter though as well. And with that, for those who don't know me yet, uh, my name's Frank Escarspixel. Um, I'm at fpixel on Twitter, and I blog under uh, fpixel.eu. And I'm kind of a certification addict, so I've basically done all the major VCAPs, um, and also from the CCNA track, the CCNA data center, plus the CCNA routing and switching as well. And today's objective really is around exploring how a Nexus switch does packet forwarding and also um, about the router lookup process. Um, with that, uh, what, what the excellent objective actually means is uh, to be able to um, describe and find and show the routing table, explain why certain entries are in the routing table, explain why certain entries are not in the routing table, for example. From a high-level overview, routing is done on layer 3 and will still leverage layer 2, though, meaning that a host is the start of each packet and it will decide on with the IP and subnet mask of the destination and its own internet address to see whether the destination is either local, meaning in, in the local LAN in a layer 2 broadcast domain, or if it needs to be actually sent to the default gateway and needs to be routed by a router. So the host finds the destination MAC either via the ARP table or a ARP lookup. And if it is local, it will send the frame directly. If the destination is remote, though, it will send the packet, or the frame, rather, to the, um, to the default gateway. Meaning, again, it does a... Um, back lookup, either in the op table or a, via the op lookup process, and then it encapsulates the IP packet in a data link frame to then being sent to the destination MAC address of the default gateway, meaning the first hop MAC address will actually be the destination MAC. Um, Cisco actually expects you to know this and be able through each hop to be able to tell what's the destination IP, what is the destination MAC address. 
if the frame then reaches the router, the router will strip the header and basically look if the frame has no errors and will then use the um, the information of the routing table that's step four the de-encapsulation it will then use the routing table the internal routing table to make a decision if the um, if the packet will be forwarded or not for it to process the frame not only the frame has to pass the CRC check also the destination address needs to be the router itself so in, in that case it basically means um, if the MAC address in the uh, destination field is not the router it will directly discard the frame after the routing decision has been made the router will encapsulate the packet into an Ethernet frame again and send it to the next destination MAC address. And no matter what kind of routing protocol we are talking about, the process of routing will always stay the same. If you remember those six high-level steps, you basically understood how routing works from a lower level point of view. You will also be able with the um, encapsulation and de-encapsulation be able to explain which hardware address is going to be in the MAC address headers. Be that the destination or be that the source of a frame. With the Nexus devices there is actually two forms of routing you can use. Um, the first one is a routed interface, which basically gets enabled by the no switch port command on an interface. And with that, all layer two functionality is being disabled. So you would basically use this for the core network um, to route between subnets. The other form is to use a switched virtual interface, an SVI. And with that, you can actually store half your layer two functionality and also simultaneously layer three functionality. The most common use case for that is basically in a single switch inter VLAN routing. You would enable this by basically just running feature interface dash VLAN on the switch. If it wasn't enabled before, you will also need to reload the configuration. An actual lab with that can be seen in um, the recording of objective two and also further explanation on that topic is being able to be found uh, in objective two. If we are talking about routes then, if you're looking at routes you will always see basically two routes um, no matter what and these are the direct and local routes. These are 
added automatically and to be added the interface needs to be in a working state. So the line status needs to be up and the protocol status also needs to be up. Additionally, the interface also needs to have an IP address um, which you can simply configure with the IP address um, command in configuration mode. And just to give you an example, we can see in the first line we are actually in uh, interface configuration mode, config-if, um, with where I can actually see which interface I am editing. Um, here we are talking about interface 3.1. I'm using the no switch port command to disable layer 2, then give it an IP address with a slash 24 subnet mask to have my IP functionality on it, and then I give it a up command, basically a no shutdown, so that the interface is actually active. If I then look at the routing table, of the Nexus switch, I can see that I now have two routes enabled. I've got a route enabled to the 192.168.00/24 subnet. We can see it's direct attached, it's direct connected, and it goes out via the interface 192.168.0.101 which is basically the IP address I've given to my switch port interface here. The other one is also just simply the local IP, meaning 192.168.0.101 with a subnet mask of 32 uh, via that exact same interface. Now, there is basically several ways to establish routes on a switch. And for the exam, and also in real life, you'll need to know about three. Um, the CCNA exams are entry-level exams, so most of the advanced configuration can actually be skipped. Um, from a documentation point of view, uh, you should still have a look at it, especially when uh, there is timer values, etc., since those actually need to match uh, for most dynamic routing protocols to work. So what are these three ways of routing? You can have static routes being set up. Those are very, very simple to set up. But as you scale your network, they are very, very hard to manage over time. Nonetheless, static routes can be actually useful if you're thinking about link failures or um, failures in your dynamic routing to simply have a fallback route. The next, basically, routing concept is to have a gateway of last resort, which is what you normally would call a default route. And the third and but not last method then is to have dynamic routing protocols that are actually very scalable and will 
take some initial configuration, but we'll choose the best route if there is possible many possible routes um, with metrics uh, that are predefined. Each routing protocol uses different uh, metrics as well. So let's take a closer look at those uh, routing protocols next. So with dynamic routing protocols, they learn routing information about IP subnets from neighboring routers. They also advertise their own routing information about their IP subnets to neighboring routers. So they're actually getting routes in and they're sending out their own routes, basically uh, converting the whole networking infrastructure among, among each, uh, each other. That's why they're called dynamic routing protocols. Additionally to just providing that information, they're also making a choice of the best route among possible routes to reach a subnet based on a variety of metrics. And these metrics is what the decision then is being made on to, um, to determine the best route. Also, if there is any networking changes, um, best example would be link failures. They react and converge to choose a new route. And convergence time is one of the key decisions for a routing protocol, for example. If we look at the protocols you'll actually need to know for the exam, you can distinguish between basically two types, interior routing protocols and exterior. The exam concentrates on a single autonomous system, so we are talking interior routing protocols. So for the CCNA data center, this essentially means you will need to know RIPv2, which is a distance vector protocol. You will need to know OSPF v2, which is a link state protocol, and EIGRP, which is a hybrid, or as Cisco likes to call it, an advanced distance vector protocol. What's the difference between link state and distance vector? For distance vector, essentially, hop count is a very important metric. How far am I away from, the, um, from, from my destination? Link state uses a uh, mathematical former formula um, in the case of OSPF that would be based on the Dijkstra uh, algorithm, for example. So let's take a look at the protocols in order. What you'll need to know about them is they are applied in a different, uh, in, in a specific order as well. So you can actually have all three protocols enabled on a single switch, but for a single subnet, normally only one protocol will basically get the, um, the upper hand to advertise that. And 
with that, we have a concept called administrative distance. This basically means how trustworthy is the routing protocol towards the switch. And there, there is a couple of default values, and once we jump into the lab, we can see what those default values are. For example, for a static route, that would be um, a default value of 1, which is essentially the lowest value that you can ever assign. So if you have static routes configured in their default configuration, it will basically mean that you're overwriting any dynamic routing protocols with that static route. So let's take a look at a basic distance vector protocol. And for the sake of this axiom, um, this is basically RIP. And RIP learns through basically two key metrics. It takes into account the distance, so essentially the hop count, how many routers or stops do I need to eventually reach my destination. And it's called distance vector protocol. It also takes the vector, meaning which direction is my next hop router. It uses a periodic timer, by default that is 30 seconds, to actually advertise full routing updates. Meaning every 30 seconds it'll publish the whole routing table towards it, its neighbors. There's also a concept of what uh, is being called split horizon, which means route updates on routes that would go out the advertising interface are actually being omitted. So that you're not advertising routes um, towards the interface where they actually come from. So if you have router A and router B, which are connected and you send out a, um, a full update for the routes coming from router B to back to router B, there, there is basically no point in that. And that's what split horizon means. Also for a failed route, RIP will use something that is called route poisoning, basically advertising a failed route with a metric from a distance value of infinity. And infinity, in the case of RIP, essentially means a hop count of 16. So the actual hop, maximum hop count, the maximum amount of intermediary routers that you can have with RIP is 15. There is two versions of the RIP protocol. Um, Cisco expects you to know the version 2 of that protocol. And with version 2, subnet masks were introduced into the routing updates. This means now that RIP v2 supports discontiguous classful networks. It supports 
variable sublet mask and it also instead of sending broadcast messages will send updates to a multicast address. Additionally, authentication was introduced in RIPv2. So with that, let's just steer away from the slides a bit and actually jump into our lab. So what I'm using here is Cisco Decloud and you can simply register a free account in there and one of the labs is the um, Nexus 7000 introduction which happens to be quite what we need in here. We can see that we have a topology of three switches um, all Nexus 7000 or um, rather virtual instances of those switches it's going to be um, the titanium image of, of the Nexus, which gives you basically all the features, um, but as a virtual instance. So what we can see here and what is actually the case, the connection between um, the second and first switch is not being established. We'll, we'll verify that in the lab in just a second. And currently, basically no routing is enabled. So we have two, uh, three major subnets here. We have the 198.18.5, we have the 198.18.6, and 198.18.7. And our goal will basically be to establish routing between um, the Nexus 7K1 and Nexus 7K2 switch using all major uh, dynamic routing protocols and we'll also take a look how we can achieve that on the um, on static routes. So let's just verify that configuration that everything is in place. Let's just make it bigger again as well. So we'll have a look that the ETH22 interface is actually up and running, that both interfaces on the third switch are up and running, and that the ETH22 interface on the um, second switch is up and running. So let's take a look if that is the case. And we want to log in into the core switch first. And here we can say NFOS Titanium software. So for routing to work, we need IP interfaces up and running. Um, there is several methods where we, how we can potentially check that. Um, <laughs> we could go as simple as do a show running config and then just have a look if everything is up and running. 
on the interface side. And we can see interface 2.1, which is the left-hand side interface. We take our graphic here again. 2.1 is up and 2.2 is also up because they both show the no shut command. No shutdown here, no shutdown here. And they also have the correct IP addresses of 198.18.52 and 198.18.62. Uh, and 1. So this looks configured correctly for now. Another quick method would also to be show interface brief, where I at least can see that both interfaces are up, so meaning in no shot and also routed with an IP address. Let's take a look at switch number three. We can see again two interfaces are up. And also from a configuration point of view, no shutdown, no switch port, and we have 198.18.62 uh, configured and 198.18.71 with no shutdown. And let's just quickly check the last switch as well, which is the two. And here we can see that we actually don't have any active interfaces. Looking at the running configuration, we can also see that both interfaces are in shutdown mode without an IP address assigned. If I wanted to take a look into the routing table of each each switch, we can see 
that currently we have OSPF already configured on um, the third switch, but on the first switch we only have direct attached routes. And also on the second switch we basically have a completely empty routing table. Um, this is due to the fact that we have no um, interfaces up and also no IPs configured on those interfaces. So let's just quickly fix that. Let's take another look at how we want this to be. You want this link to still stay down so we won't activate interface 1 but we want interface 2 to be actually um, part of our lab today. So to do that we are gonna enter configuration mode and we want to go into the interface um, configuration and if in the exam for example you're ever forgetting what you can do or where you are you can always use where to see where you are and conf basically is the global configuration mode you can also use the question mark <coughs> in any of the actual labs in the exam to see what's possible to for you to do here and we can see in configuration mode we actually have an inter interface configuration available so if we go to interface we can see well ethernet looks good tap that out we can see we now need a chassis number, which is in our case 2. And we need a port number and we want to configure interface 2. So give it port 2. Do we need anything else? No. So carriage return. And now I'm essentially in interface configuration mode for this specific interface. So what do we want to do? We want to give it an IP address, which means IP address, and the IP address shall be 118.7.2 with a submit mask of 24. And we don't need a secondary IP, so that's it. No switch port. Good measure. And also we want to activate this. No shut. With the Nexus operating system, we basically don't need to drop out of configuration mode to have a look how the current configuration is. So instead of iOS devices, where you would normally do something like do show, 
within Nexus, you can actually just do the normal show command. So if we now have a look at show interface um, or show running config, we can see that our interface 2 is now having an IP address and is in no shutdown. Let's take a look at the routing table, show IP route. And we can see we now have a direct attached route to um, the 198.18.7.0 network. So we should be able to now ping 198.18.7.1. So let's just quickly confirm that. Ping 198.18.7.1. And we can say after the first ARP lookup, the ICMP packets go through. Uh, this happens sometimes with dcloud. Just bear with me for a second here while I restart the connection. And we are back up and running. So from switch 3, I should also now be able to ping 198.7.2.18. And I am plus from that interface, I should also be able to ping 6.1. which I am as well. What I won't be able to do is um, show IP route. And here I actually will, but on this one, show IP route. I don't have a route into the 118.7 network yet. So in here I won't be able to ping 198.18.72 and it directly gives us the message no route to host. Same here, show IP route. We have no route into either the um, 6 network or into the uh, 5 network so ping 119.18 dot 6.2 should give us a no route to host 
and the same is true for the um, 5.2 network. Let's quickly test that. We don't have any routes into those networks. So the first thing we are going to try to do now is to actually set up a dynamic routing protocol. And the least trusted dynamic routing protocol will be RIP. So we are already in configuration mode. Let's just quickly go into global configuration. And all dynamic routing protocols need to be enabled as features. So if we take a look at show feature, we can see that EIGRP is currently disabled, same as OSPF, and RIP is also disabled. So let's just quickly enable the RIP protocol, which is very easy, feature RIP. And if you don't fat finger it, it actually works. So if we do a show feature again, we can now see that RIP is enabled, but it isn't running yet. We can also show And with that, we can also see that the process is not set up correctly. The labs in the Cisco exams are not only configuration labs, they also expect you to be able to uh, do at least basic verification and troubleshooting. So having a look whether the feature is enabled in the first place or not, um, to be capable of doing so will help you out a lot. So to actually start, Routing. What we want to do is we are using the router command, then rip, and then we need to give it a process ID. So from back. With that, you also want to enable it on IPv4. Four unicast. Do we need something else? No, carriage return done. So let's show IP RIP. With that, we can actually see now RIP is up and running. The process is up and running, but currently it's not assigned to any interfaces. So we still need to configure the interfaces, but what we can see is RIP has a default administrative distance of 120. You want to remember that value for the exam. Um, any routing protocol 
with a administrative distance of lower than 120 will actually override any rip routes um, in, in our configuration. Since we haven't done any interfaces or enabled RIP on any of the other routers, we still don't have a change in our output here. So let's just quickly assign it, show IP RIP again. Let's fix that. The interface is supported by IPv4 RIP. Uh, to do so, simply go into interface mode. For our second router, we want to go into interface ETH22 and enable repair for it to actually distribute the 198.18.7 subnet to other routers. And on that interface, we want to do IP router rip, and then it wants the process, which we called brownback. We now do show IP rip. We can see rip is supported on interface fee, uh, inter interface two. Show IP route. Nothing changes here though because we don't really have a new route here. Let's go to our device that's directly connected to it, which is 223, and repeat the same process here. So we want to enable, right? So we drop into configuration mode, conf T, then feature rip, and address family IPv4 Unicast and on this router we actually want to have both interfaces distributing their routes so we're gonna give it a range so we go into interface configuration mode Interface ETH2122. And IP router rip. And here we can see now since we have both of them and let me just disable feature no feature OSPF here for it not to interfere with anything. We are direct connected to network seven. But 
now we can ping the 198.18.6 network. Let's just test that, 198.18.6, and we want to ping 6.2, which works. And here we simply get a timeout, meaning there is no route back, uh, rather than a no route message. So the last device we need to configure is the first switch. And here we want to have the um, route again on both interfaces. So we do drop into con global configuration mode, do a feature rip. Router rip from back address finally IPv4 Unicast and go into the interface range again. Interface E2 one to two and give it IP enable the RIP protocol on both interfaces. IP router RIP And we can also see that we have now advertised the 198.18.7 via the RIP. We can also see the administrative distance here, which was 120, and we can see it's available via two hops. So now I should actually be able to ping 198.18.7.2, and I actually am. Also here, this ping works, and I should also be able to ping 5.2 network fairly easily. So, PS3, show IP route. Now I can see I actually have two routes. I have the route to the dot five network via uh, the interface uh, 198.18.7.1 uh, with three hops and also the uh, six network via two hops. If I only want to see the routes from RIP, I can also do that uh, by simply giving it the um, dynamic routing protocol name. That basically shows us the um, RIP configuration. If you want to verify RIP, show IP RIP, and then you can do instance to see the process ID. We can see it's up and running, 
and we can also see the rep neighbors. And there we can say that we are having connection established. The next protocol we are actually going to take a look at is OSPF. Um, OSPF is a link state protocol. The big advantage for OSPF is that it is an open protocol, so if you have a good mix of hardware and not only Cisco switches or routers, then OSPF usually is your matter of choice. Instead of now doing full routing updates every 30 seconds, OSPF determines um, aliveness uh, via a um, hello protocol mechanism. Routers are also building their database about the network and flood their own database through all uh, routers via link state advertisements. These are being done not periodically but on change. So basically if we take a look at router one here, if there is a an update it will broadcast that to the, or not broadcast, it, it'll use the Halo protocol to send a link state advertisement to router 3 and router 2, and in turn router 3 and router 2 will also send the same link state update um, to router 4. Routers do belong to a specific area in OSPF. And area zero is the backbone area. Multiple areas do have the advantage that they can keep the um, advertisement traffic to a low level because only routers in the same area do get the advertisements. So if you think about a larger scale, not only four to five routers, but a couple of hundred, to not flood the network with the updates, you can actually uh, give them um, specific um, areas. Within an autonomous system, then you usually have a couple of areas. Normally, all areas should be connected to area zero which is your backbone, and a router that's not on the border in the uh, backbone area, like router 1, is actually called a backbone router. Routers with interfaces both in uh, two different areas are actually called an area border router, and routers with a um, connection to another autonomous system are called autonomous system border routers. Um, don't be surprised uh, if those names come up um, within the exam.
And with that, let's see if we can configure OS, OSPF in the lab after we fix the next disconnect. But if it won't connect, there's a fallback plan. Instead of using dcloud, there is also a simulator by Todd Lamlo. Action close, we'll give it one more try here. So if you don't have internet, for example, you can also leverage this simulator. It is a simulator unlike um, the actual titanium which is very similar code of the Nexus operating system. So it, it'll behave a bit differently but you can do the normal configuration with it. Um, it beha it'll behave uh, very similar. So with that, let's configure OSPF. Okay. We need to enable OSPF again. And we can say with the normal default license here, um, we are now in grace period meaning we have 120 days left, which for the sake of a vBrown bag should be just enough time to, to demonstrate this. So OSPF, again with router configuration as with um, RIP, we're going to start with the keyboard router. Just to show you the options, we can choose OSPF here as well. OSPF back and then let's drop into interface e we want to two and IP router OSPF name and real not going to mess with anything. What's important for the exam is um, especially OSPF has an administrative distance of 110. If we remember that RIP has 120, once we've configured OSPF, it will automatically overwrite all RIP routes um, simply because the administrative distance is lower and the routes are deemed more trustworthy. From We can also see the link updates in here. Plus the overall area. So 
Let's go to router number five. And then And again, we want to have IP router OSPF from back in area zero. Yeah. And here we can see that now OSPF has converged. OSPF, the brown bag. And here we are directly connected, so let's enable it here as well. What you can also set is a router ID. This um, identifies the router. Um, this is optional, um, especially in such a basic configuration just to demonstrate it. Um, the router ID needs to be an actual interface on the router. Yeah. And that happens when you try to do shortcut commands. Control W is not a good idea when working through a browser. So here we don't need this today, and we want to go to interface E2, and do P router OSPF from back 
converge. This will converge in just a second. We can see this is converged now. Our rip route has been replaced with an OSPF route. Here as well. And here as well. So within just a couple of seconds, everything converged um, just fine. The rip is still there. In here, we can also see that rip down back would work. So rip down back. we have no routes distributed via RIP anymore. The last protocol we are going to take a look at is EGIRP. It's a Cisco proprietary protocol, so it will only work on Cisco routers. Again, advertisements are done using a hello protocol. There is something called a hold interval which is three times the hello interval. If no hello is received within the hold interval, the um, route is presumed to be dead. The same is true for OSPF as well. Um, the timer there is called a dead timer. Key metrics for EGIRP is basically, instead of going for uh, pure distance, EIGRP will take into account link speed and also delay. There is a pretty complex formula with uh, some default values being zero. So at the end of the day, um, the metric, the cumulative or composite metric will basically be um, a bandwidth plus delay. So the lower the delay is, the um, the better, or the higher the bandwidth is, uh, the better as well. EIGRP converges extremely quickly, um, simply due to the fact that instead of only calculating the best route, it also calculates all alternative routes um, as, as a backup. So in terms of a link failure, the protocol instantly knows which one is the best, uh, the second best route to take. The best route is actually called a successor, and the next best route will be known as a feasible successor. And just before we jump into the lab again and configure the um, the last protocol, we are going to take a look at static routes as well. They are configured with uh, the command IP route, then the network, including subnet mask, and next hop or exit interface, and can be checked with um, show IP route um, and possibly the static keyword 
depending on the interface status, static routes are added. Meaning if an interface is down, the uh, route won't be added in the routing uh, table anymore. From an administrative distance point of view, we are talking about an administrative distance of one, meaning a static route will override any routing protocol routes that we are having. If we want to talk about the default route as well, um, also known as gateway of last resort, if you want to establish that, uh, the command IP route, um, all zeros, all zeros, um, and then the default interface you want to exit can be leveraged as a default route, um, basically like a catch-all rule. So let's configure the last routing protocol before we finish this up today. So let's jump into configuration mode again. And we want to enable feature ADRP. Also say this requires a license. Router AIGRP name. And this is basically common for all three protocols. You first enable the feature, then you go into the um, router configuration for it. In here, you can usually just use question mark and for this one, we we need to provide an autonomous system. So let's do that. Autonomous system 100. We want that to match across all three nodes. And we want to go into interface. ETH22. Uh, and enable IP router EIGRP. And this should be it. Show IP EIGRP. You can see the status is running. And since we are within the same autonomous system, our administrative distance is actually 19. Meaning, if we configure it on the second or on router number three, it is going to overwrite the OSPF route in just a second here. Future Rotary EIGRP going back. System 100. And we want it on both interfaces again. Interface E212. And IP router EIGRP. Route. 
and we can see this is showing our route being distributed with EIGRP now. And do the same thing here. say it already converged for the seven network meaning our OSPF route here will be gone now and also the OSPF route here will be replaced if we want to establish a static route we can do the same with the already mentioned command IP route and we want to go to, let's take this network. And the access, exit interface will be Ethernet 22. Next hop being 198.18.7. So he wrote. And we can see that now this was overwritten with a static IP with an administrative distance of 1. Well, this basically summarizes the um, the topic of routing protocols for the CCNA data center. If you want to know more information, um, there is basically two books that you can read. Uh, one being the um, book by Todd Landler, and the other one, the official study guide with um, from Vendelodum. You can use dcloud for free. It's dcloud.cisco.com. Simply log in with your Cisco account. What is also a really, really great resource is the actual online uh, documentation of Cisco. So with the um, Nexus configuration guide, you actually have the Cisco Nexus 7000 unicast routing configuration guide. And in here, you have everything you need to know. You have all the theory around um, EIGRP, uh, OSPF v2, and RIP, and also static routing. Um, you get all the commands for the, and for the CCNA, what you will need is the basic configuration plus the verification um, in a single place. 
thank you very much for attending today and we'll continue this topic um, with the US Brownbacks or with the EMEA Brownbacks um, depending on the schedule of the presenters um, next time. Thank you very much and have a good night.